So why go to college in the first place? Is it just what comes after high school? What will I get out of it? Just some of the questions we'll be discussing on this week's episode of College for Christians. I'm Chris Gerritz, history professor at Bethel University, joined by... Sam Mulberry, history professor at Bethel University. All right, and this is our second episode. Sam, last week as we started this series, we basically shared our own stories, and that covered a lot of ground. We talked about um, kind of why we were going to college, which colleges we picked, how we made the decision, and then a little bit of how we look back on that, given not just the distance of history, but that we now work in higher education in different capacities, and now we're starting to encounter applicants uh, in, in different ways. Uh, now now what we want to do is step back to really ask the question that everyone should be asking before they really get into anything else, which is, why go to college in the first place? And here, too, I think we'll draw on our own experience, but we'll try to add a little bit more data as well. And let me just remind you, as always, listeners, we'd like to hear your comments, your questions, uh, whether it's pertaining to this episode or other kinds of questions you want us to ask and try to answer in future episodes. You can get us at channel3900 at gmail.com. All right. So why go to college? Sam, actually, I want to start with maybe the idea that this isn't really a choice for a lot of people. It's almost just the assumption of this is what comes after high school, right? Yeah. Um, Now, this isn't always true. There's some alternatives I want to get to. But let me give you a a kind of a statistical survey of what this actually looks like uh, for Americans as of about 2021. So this comes to me uh, from the Education Data Initiative, but it's really using Department of Education statistics. So if you ever want to dive deeply into like higher ed data, uh, go to a place called NCES. I think it's National Center for Educational Statistics or Studies or something. Okay, so... At any one time in the last few years, about 16 to 17 million Americans are enrolled as undergraduates in colleges and universities. Uh, But that includes two-year and four-year colleges. And another four million or so are in graduate professional programs of different sorts. So we'll talk more about the different types of institutions, I think, on our next episode. But broadly, 20-plus million people are in post-secondary education, 16 million of them in kind of our level undergraduates. So about two-thirds of high school graduates in this country will go on to get at least some post-secondary education. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean they'll graduate necessarily. That's still, um, you know, it's roughly, I think, about 50-50 or so. Uh, A third of them go to two-year colleges. And something we should, if not today, like maybe next week, talk more about like community colleges increasingly as an option that people are looking at. So this is quite a bit higher than it was when, say, my dad went to the University of Minnesota which would have been probably like 1965, um, 1966. It's about half again as a rate of high school graduates above what it was in the 60s. So this has been growing over time. But it's still, that's a third of Americans who do graduate high school but never go on to get even a single college class of any sort. And it's actually been declining just a little bit, and especially with men. Right now, over 60% of undergraduates are women in American higher ed, and there's been a lot of discussion about a kind of gender gap, and especially men opting out. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about alternatives here? What else do people do? Um, I mean, I suppose in a sense, some people simply stop their education at age 18, but there are other educational models. I think on our first episode, you mentioned your dad had vocational training. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. So um, so my dad went to school uh, to learn upholstery. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, I mean, it, yeah, he ended up not doing that a, as a career, but that was um, – my dad was visually impaired. Mm-hmm. So there was um, – 
uh, kind of certain paths for this would have been in the late 60s early 70s you know there were kind of certain paths to, to be like oh these are good things for people who um, you know to to kind of pathways to jobs things like that but I think there's a lot of different um, different trades and vocational things uh, and actually I mean we're going to talk a little bit later about the connection between education and jobs and in some ways those are um, those are pathways to some uh, very lucrative careers yeah. I mean there's actually I think been probably increasing discussion of this like, I just know we see this all the time in political campaigns in Minnesota um, our, our two senators, Amy Klobuchar and Tina Smith, I think have both done ads where they, or our congressional representatives, where they talk about we need to expand access to trades. And it's true. Like in some trades, you're, you're facing like increasing average age, not enough young people entering into plumbing, electric, electrical work, carpentry, right? And there are actually educational programs based on like an apprenticeship model or vocational educational model. And they're often very, I mean, at least solidly middle class, if not higher kinds of, of compensation. Some of these have been kind of swallowed into what we think of as higher ed over time. My mom became a nurse. She went to a nursing school embedded in a hospital, and that was in the 1970s. That's largely disappeared over time. Uh, in Bethel, you used to have a kind of relationship with a hospital. We'd send students who then train there. And now you actually, nursing is a major within a four-year or an adult degree completion program at Bethel. Um, so there are things like that, like trades have become part of like a professional degree, degree program, but there are still the kind of vocational programs. Um, one really interesting thing out there is there's a multi-billionaire named Peter Thiel, who I think is now trying to get into politics. Uh, to a great deal of fanfare and the kind of uncertain effect, he started a program a few years ago called the Thiel Fellows, where he had a competitive fellowship uh, program where uh, very elite students were offered $100,000 not to go to college because he wanted to demonstrate you don't need a college degree, right? And a lot of that stems from like Silicon Valley, type, like tech sector people, uh, you know, who don't go to college or they drop out because they know they, they, they can learn more by actually starting their own enterprise instead. And so there's that kind of pressure to some extent. Um, and then there are other kinds of like, when do you start? Like the gap year phenomenon maybe is something we should talk about. Maybe the most important one though is simply a lot of people are part-time students. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I go back to the statistics I pulled, about of those 16 million undergraduates, about 61% of them are full-time, which suggests 39% of them are taking some number of courses, but they're not full-time students. And for that matter, a lot of our full-time students are working quite a bit outside of, of their studies, right? Yeah, and I think I think things like the like the part-time, we can maybe come back to that, but things like the gap year, or I know for us in Minnesota, um, we have students who do things like play juniors hockey for mm -hmm. a year or two and then come to college. And there, there are some real positives to that. You end up, I mean, one of the things that we should, that we should mention here is, you know, one of the reasons, you know, to, to think of college as a, as a, um, extension of your education. It's like a natural extension has to do with, with also just like human development yep. that, um, there is nothing magic at 18 that happens where it's like you're done developing in terms of maturity and other kinds of developmental things. And college really, um, is in some ways, especially now built more and more, to uh, meet students where they're at in terms of that developmental thing. So if you take that gap year, if you do something like juniors for a year or two, you're coming in a little bit more fully developed, a little bit more mature, even like 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 physically, cognitively mm -hmm. more mature. At the same time, what you lose is momentum. There is a kind of, and this is one of the positives I think about 
looking at college as this natural thing that happens after high school is you have a kind of academic momentum. You're in a kind of um, you're in a pattern Mm -hmm. of being a student, being in school. You're also surrounded by other people your age who are in school. Um, I think this is one of the difficult things with uh, with like being a part time student. Um, And and it's not something wrong with that, but it's a it's a complex part of this is that. Um, you're often surrounded by other people who aren't students then. And it's really hard to do the work of a student because so much of the work of the student happens outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. If you come home to a world where nobody else around you is is a student, they sometimes don't understand the realities of that. So, so I feel like this is something that, that I work with students on and that I encounter. And it, it, it's I think it's very difficult when we see um, sometimes adult students coming back to complete a degree or to start a degree. I think people coming back from the military I think that's another thing that that is a, a post high school option, you know, is is are you surrounded by a supportive structure to the fact that you're going to be living a very unique lifestyle? Being a student is a very unique lifestyle in terms of how your time is spent. Yeah. So, I mean, I just assume that for the most part, as we continue, we will have in mind what's called the first time full time student, undergraduate student is mostly what we're talking about. But at least early on, I think we want to acknowledge there's tremendous diversity here. Of, of when people start and why they start. And I guess the main takeaway here as we pivot is, however you're doing this, you need to you do need to ask yourself, why are you going to college? Like, I, I do think there is a lot of logic to the, it's the next step, but you shouldn't just take that step without thinking about it, right? And so mostly what we want to do for the rest of this episode then is think about why people do take that step, whether it's straight out of high school graduation, increasingly it's starting even before high school graduation. We'll talk about early college at some point, or it's something you come back to after a gap year, after a term of service in the military, as a working adult, however it happens. What do you want out of college? So here too, I think we're drawing a lot on our own experience, our own observation, but I want to check that against other sources. So kind of throughout our discussion, I'm going to draw on a a very well-established study called the Harry Freshman Survey. So this was started, I think, in 1966 at UCLA. And uh, I think it's the Higher Education Research Institute. And it's it's a massive study of college freshmen or first-time students. So the last one was published before COVID in 2019. That's what we'll refer to, in which they asked 96,000 first-time full-time students at a mix of about 150 colleges. So public and private, university, uh, college, four-year, two-year, non-sectarian, religious of different sorts. Uh, There's a whole column just about historically black colleges and universities that we'll allude to. And uh, you can get this, uh, you can download this online, it's free, and it asks a lot of different questions, uh, one of which, though, is why do people go to college? And so we'll, we'll allude to some of the answers freshmen have given historically and especially in the 2019 study. So, Sam, let me start with you. In our first episode, uh, you said that one reason students at least say or are told they should go to college is for what you call instrumental reasons. So I think there actually are multiple instrumental reasons, but most broadly, what did you mean by instrumental views of education? Uh, An instrumental view of education is that there is a direct link between going to school and getting an education and... I would argue a specific career is is one version of, of it. That's one version. One version sure. of instrumental is to say like like I am going because I want to get a degree in accounting because I want to be an accountant. Another uh, more general sense is that my reason for going to college is because I want basically financial success in a career. Like 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 and it may, that's a little less specific where I'm going into a specific 
pre-professional track, but but to say like that is the um, that that's the 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 fundamental reason is to say this leads to this. Yeah. So in that sense, education is an instrument. Mm-hmm. Education will serve as a tool that allows you to accomplish some other kind of end. I mean, I. Education is a means to some other end beyond education itself, right? And so the most common version of this, it's really a package of things that nestle kind of well together, but not necessarily, is some combination of education leads to job, career, which are separate but related, uh, some level of prosperity, of wealth, of status. So let me give you a few numbers here, Sam, and see if this is surprising, if this if this fits well. So uh, one of the ways Harry surveys freshmen is, is they ask, um, what are your objectives in college? And they give you kind of like a Likert scale. And so you can say, this is essential. This is very important. This is somewhat important. This is not important at all. The very highest, most often to be marked either essential or very important is that the students want to be very well off financially. Uh, that was 84% of students said that they go to college because they want to be very well off financially. And that's pretty consistent across almost all types of institutions except for non-Catholic religious four-year colleges like Bethel. But it was still 78% there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, th- this is, is about as universal a result as you can possibly get. Um, related to that, 83% say college will help them to get a better job. 79% that will lead them into a specific career. And 73% that they'll make more money. And I don't quite know the difference in the survey between make more money and being very well off financially. Maybe it's two different ways of asking the same thing, but there's a little bit of a a gap there and I don't know how to explain it. So was that surprising? Was that about what you expected? Yeah, you know, and and in part, um, because I always want to push back on these numbers a Mm -hmm. little bit. I think there is a degree, and, and this is this is a, a surveying students asking a very different question. But if you ask a student a question of why they're dropping out of school or leaving school, mm-hmm. do you know what the number one answer students tend to say is? No. By far and away, money, cost. Right. Yeah. I think it's the easiest thing to say. Yeah. I think there are plenty of people who did what we were just talking about, which is well, college is the next step. Mm-hmm. And then if you're sitting down and saying, okay, now tell me why you're here, you're like. Um, well, I can't say it's the next step because I don't know. It's just like so, – so I do think in some ways it's the easiest, most identifiable answer. And it also feels like an answer that's pretty hard to argue with. It's oh, like, yeah. yeah, it's like it's both true. College is sold as a means to social economic mobility. Um, but I don't know that I would uh, – I, I would read that as to say very few people are going to school without that in mind to some degree. Sure. Is how I would read mm-hmm. that. Not to say that is the – the sole reason people go, but it, but it's like it's kind of hard to, and part of it's the cost, right? It, mm-hmm. That 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 college is such an investment that you do as much as I hate ROI type language, like you do need to think about it that way. Is like okay, well, if you're going to be spending, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars over the course of you know of several years, like. Does that get recouped at some point? So, like, you kind of have to say it. Yeah, and we're going to have a whole episode just about cost and ROI, return on investment. And and so there are numbers in the Harry study that point to that. I would just say two trends you can observe over time. It's more likely students will cite career, job, prosperity, and it's also even more likely that they're going to say that a concern they have is cost for college, right? And so that, that, that doesn't seem like they're disconnected, right? That makes some sense. Now, I would also say... They've been doing this survey since the 1960s. Um, they, they've they changed over time, but like the job question has always been there. And like when my dad was in college in the 60s, it was still like 70% said it was to get a job. Mm-hmm. Like I think so, which I think it's 
speaks to something you're already trying to say. Like for almost everyone, that's at least part of why you're there. That was certainly part of what I was thinking about when I went to college. I wanted to go to law school and become a lawyer. Right? Sure, was, because the second you set foot on campus, you're already being asked or thinking about okay, what do I do when I'm done here? Yep. It's like, because it is, it is by definition a temporary existence. Exactly. You, you know, you, nobody goes to college thinking, well, this is the rest of my life. Well, for us. Right. We didn't know that. But we're time. on a different side of it. That's right. Um, sorry, you were going to say something else, I think, and then I maybe cut you off. Okay. Let me, let me complicate this a little bit because you know what the second highest, most commonly cited objective is? At 80%, saying again, essential or very important, helping others who are in difficulty. Because, I mean, you you see that first statistic and it's like, huh, they all want to be very well off financially. This is entirely about economic mobility. But there also is almost as high a level of saying this is also my way to serve others somehow. Right. And I think that, I mean, that has to do with uh, a very real thing, too, which is I think people... And this maybe goes to the trade school thing. Mm-hmm. Not to say that that somebody who's a carpenter or a plumber, Lord knows if you need a plumber, they're the most helpful people yep. in the world. But there is, like, I know, I will say, like, my dad was, my dad had a great union job, and he was a janitor. Mm-hmm. And a janitor can very much help people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I remember thinking, man, I want to make sure I have meaningful work. So I think this is a way to get at, I, yes, I want to have a job and a good job, and, a, and like, I want to be financially secure, but I don't only want that. I also want my contribution to be meaningful in some way. I think this is probably the place where that comes out. Yeah, and I mean, with all surveys, there's also the phenomenon of um, saying what you think people want to hear. Is, sure. But I, I think that's generally true. Like, I, I don't want to be that cynical. I think there is some sense of um, work is both lucrative in a sense, but it's also meaningful. And the ideal is you can do both, right, as a kind of typical American middle class package. I mean, I don't want to write this off. Like, I really do think, especially given the rising cost of college, um, how, how can you not begrudge students for thinking the main reason you go to college is to get a job so you can pay that off and then make uh, lifetime earnings of some sort. And so we'll dig deeper into that at some point. Maybe it was different. My dad says all the time that he had zero debt because the way Minnesota did things in the 60s and 70s is we accepted high taxes for high investment in public education and he p- spent hardly any money on either college or medical school, right? And if you, if that was part of the equation, maybe you would think differently. But that's not for most people. Yeah, I remember one of uh, one of uh, my professors, uh, who is maybe a little older than your dad, telling the story of getting a summer job which paid for college every right. summer. And I remember thinking, even when I was a student, if I had a summer job that paid for college, I would just do that job. <laughs> it's like it's like that would be like like that would be quite a job. Yeah. So I. I But I think it's worth starting here and asking, because if you're listening, if you're a student or a parent of a student, like, be honest about this. If this is actually what you expect out of college, that should play a significant factor in shaping, uh, maybe not even so much the colleges you look at, but like what you're looking at while you're visiting those colleges or how you're thinking about their programs. It should stay, I mean, you should expect certain data from them, right? Um, Is this actually going to happen if I go to this college? Will I get this kind of career? Now... Not surprisingly, we are now going to pivot to all sorts of other ways of thinking about college because I think this is not the only reason. It's maybe not always even the best reason to go to college. But I think there are some other instrumental reasons, right? Not education for its own sake, education that gets me something else. So, Sam, I'm going to give you two other things that I would describe as being instrumental. Um, So, number one, why do you go to college? Maybe it's about relationship and family. The third highest number in that hairy objective list, so again, students saying essential or very important, 71% said because they want to raise a family. 
and it's much higher at private colleges and lower at universities. Now, I couldn't find an analysis of this when I read the actual report itself. So I think there are probably a lot of ways to interpret this. As you listen to that number, what do you think that means? Uh, Two things. Um, It is another version of the financial I want to be able to support a family. And I think think it's also, and, you know, Bethel is a place where I I think it is I want to find my spouse. (laughs) You know, like, like. Like especially if you're coming from a small town where the uh, the actual pool of people is small, it's like I'm gonna go out into the world and I'm gonna. This is part of becoming an adult is finding who is the who is the person or people I'm gonna spend my life with. I think it's a I think it's a combination of things. I also wonder how gendered those interpretations mm-hmm. are, especially within some subcultures where I wonder if more men read that as supporting a family, mm-hmm. more women. You know, you know, read that. I mean, in a in a like finding a spouse kind of way. I don't know, but I think within subculture, some subcultures, it may get read that way. Yeah, I mean, it certainly fits with uh, some of how I think we've observed Bethel. Now, excuse me, you married someone you met at college. I did not. I, I but that was not by design. I mm-hmm. certainly hoped that I would marry someone I met at college or graduate school, and then unfortunately, it worked out differently. Um, but that does seem to me something we often glide past unless you're in a specific context like Bethel where there's such a high rate of marriage. But like at least broadly, it's where you meet some of the most important people in your life. And I think that's obviously connected to education because those people include professors and mentors of some sort. But it's often where if not your spouse, your best friend, right? Mm-hmm. Or it is your mentor of some sort, right? right? Like that's partly, and if that's true, and if that's a really high um, high objective for you, that should shape how you think about what you're looking for when you visit colleges and the relationships you're going to form. Well, because I think it absolutely shapes values yeah. too. Like like I think, um, views Bethel as an example, right? So Bethel, there's a lot of students um, who go to Bethel to major in pre-med. That's, mm-hmm. that's a not uncommon thing. Um, and I know for a fact if you talk to a lot of Bethel pre-med students, there's going to be another reason why they want to do pre-med, and that is, well, they're interested in, like, the missions field in terms of medical missions and things like that. And, and that, so, like, if you come to a place that has, where you're going to tend to see that value, you're going you're gonna to tend to also meet other people, whether it's, a potential spouse, or like you said, friends, colleagues, things like this, who are interested in this field for a particular set of values as well. Okay. Let me give you one more instrumental kind of uh, argument. Now, this does not show up in the Harry survey, but I think in certain places you hear this a lot, which is that the purpose of college is to prepare citizens, not just workers in the economy, not just people who form stable families, but people for a certain kind of political system. So let me read to you from a book called Not for Profit, Why Democracy Needs the Humanities by Martha C. Nussbaum, who's uh, a world-class philosopher, has a position in law and ethics at the University of Chicago. So here's part of what she said. Education is not just for citizenship. It prepares people for employment and importantly for meaningful lives. All modern democracies, however, are societies in which the meaning and ultimate goals of human life are topics of reasonable disagreement among citizens who hold many different religious and secular views, and these citizens will naturally differ about how far various types of humanistic education serve their own particular goals. What we can agree about is that young people all over the world in any nation lucky enough to be democratic need to grow up to be participants in a form of government in which people inform themselves about crucial issues they will address as voters and sometimes as elected or appointed officials. So her whole book is, I mean, it's really focused on the liberal arts and the humanities. But what she means is that one purpose of education in America is to prepare democratic citizens, 
well-informed people who can navigate complicated choices, um, identify and evaluate sources of information, ask good questions of their elected officials, right? Query assumptions, like all the things you need to make a polity successful. I, I don't hardly ever hear anyone talk about that. Well, you you do, but you don't hear people talking about it for themselves. That is not why you want to go to college. It's why I want you to go to college. <laughs> no, I mean, it really yeah. is. Like, as yep. a society, yep. why do I – because you know what, Chris? I, I went to college. Yep. Why do I want people in the next generation to go to college? Why do I want people in the next generation to go to liberal arts colleges? Why do I want them to study the humanities? Because I actually do care about that. This is when I talk with my kids about why we do certain things. I will play the citizenship card <laughs> off i mean especially during covid i'll be like well why, okay why do we why do we do this even though we may or may not disagree it's like because this is what it means to be part of a society yeah. like so i i actually do think that and maybe we don't think about that enough is like you have reasons for coming to college but the college has reasons for you coming as well no that's very well said and i think you're right it's not what people would say for themselves so back to our study from the ucla less than half say it'd be very important or essential that college would help them stay up to date with political affairs become a community leader or influence social values less than 30 percent think it will help them influence politics um Part of what we're now starting to get at is the kind of nature of what is the education, too, because that varies quite a bit. And if the nature of the education is oriented uh, around preparing people for professional employment, sometimes that means less attention is given to the kind of education Nussbaum was talking about, which is wide-ranging, broad, disconnected from specific economic ends. I mean, this is not always a zero, this is sometimes a zero-sum game on college campuses. What are you going to study once you get here? I mean, that that is something to think about, is if you have some sense that you want your child to be educated for democracy, you should then think about what kind of education are they getting, because it's not just than for, for employment or meeting a spouse. Okay, those are all, in a sense, instruments, right? Education is a means to employment, to relationship, to citizenship. Can't education just be valuable for its own sake? How would you, how would you make that argument, Sam? Because I think you'll find some support and some questioning of that in the survey data. Yeah, I mean, my, my problem is I feel like when I think about education for its own sake, it still sounds like a kind of instrumentalism, but like a really lofty instrumentalism, which, which is my favorite professor when I was a student would often... Um, make the case in the middle of a lecture about ancient Greek philosophy about how education is soul craft. Mm -hmm. It is not about what you want to become, but who you are becoming. Mm -hmm. But I could spin that into, into it being instrumental too. Sure. You know, that it is a means to how I become something, right? And part of that is that this is a place, a school is a place for fairly low stakes struggle. Mm. Um, you know, he, he th this professor uh, whose name was David Williams would often talk about you come to struggle or you come to college to struggle, to learn to intellectually persevere, to concentrate, to pay attention, to do things that are hard. And this helps you aspire to things as well. So it's like, again, to me, that's a ed education and, and, and intellectual pursuits for their own sake. But to me, that is also deeply instrumental in those citizenship kinds of yeah. ways. I can make the case it's instrumental for those career kinds of ways, yeah. but I really do think about like, and, and and maybe I'm showing my cards here, but I remember as a col or as a high school student, that was the thing that I cared most about. I, I would talk with my more instrumentalist teacher sometimes about how I was more interested in who I was than what I was. I, I, I take the point. I feel like it's very hard to actually simply view education as an end in and of itself, right? I mean, in ways you are being shaped. You are being made into a person who will work, who will have relationships, who will vote, who will buy. Um, 
but maybe those things are incidental to the experience you're going to have in college and education itself. Um, so here's what they, the survey data said. 75% say they want to go to college to get a general education and better appreciation for ideas. And 83% say they are looking forward to studying things that interest me. Now, what interests you might be being an accountant or being a nurse, right? So that, that can be hard to separate, to suss out from the, the kind of professional career preparation path. Um, one way to think about this might be, can you really answer this question? Why am I going to college when you're 17 or 18? Do you know yourself well enough to understand what this is going to do to you or why you need this experience? I'm not sure I really knew that for myself. Right. And partly like I'm in a much different place than I expected to be coming out of college. But I wonder if part of the reason you go to college is you actually are there is a degree. This is self-exploration. It's trying things on. It's discovering. And it is struggling and it's practicing things. And in the midst of that, then you realize the kind of instrumentality that comes with education. But maybe what it means is you shouldn't worry quite so much about those things on the front end. Yeah, least. absolutely. I mean, it is, and again, if I'm a, this is called College for Christians, so I can spiritualize yeah. this a little bit, like going to college is an act of faith. Yep. I mean, you are making a, a investment of resources, money, time, years of your life, um, and, and very few people know what they want to do, and even fewer of those people know what they want to do and end up actually doing it, because lots of people, an overwhelming number of people change what they're going to major in. Um, and, you know, even when you look at careers, most careers that that our current students are going to have in their lives don't exist yet. So mm-hmm. it's like there, there there's a, a falsehood to some of that instrumental stuff anyhow. But there is this, I think you're right, there is this sense of like you're coming to find your vocation. And even the idea of saying, well, I want to come to college to study what I love. It's like, well, that is following a calling. It's like, I love this thing. I'm really interested in this. And that in and of itself, I think, leads to some of these other things. So, for example, if I'm hiring for a generic job, would you rather have a C-plus student or an A student, Chris? Usually. If, if you don't know what the job probably is. Probably an A student. Okay. Um, if I'm hiring for an accounting job, would you rather have a C-plus accounting student or an A-plus philosophy student. I'd kind of rather have the great student because I feel like they can learn anything. And likewise, as a historian, if you're hiring a a, uh, research assistant for a book you're writing, do you want a C-plus history student or an A-plus accounting student? The accounting student. Exactly. You want the person who's like, I know what it feels like to find this thing that I'm interested in and that I love and to work very hard. So it's like... it. To that degree, I also think it doesn't like like it even doesn't matter in some of those instrumental ways. Yeah, well, I think one other kind of tension here, since you, you you started to spiritualize this, and that's where I want to wrap things up, is think about some of the metaphors we use, especially at places like Bethel, explicitly Christian colleges. Um, two words I hear a lot at Bethel. One is pathway, right? College is supposed to give you this path that takes you from high school to the career you want, right? And that might be a 90 credit professional program and includes an internship, right? But it's there's, there's this idea of a straight road and that reassures people. It assuages anxiety about, am I gonna be able to find a job and provide for my family? Um, and can I pay back my college loans? And so it, it's it's I understand why that's powerful, but the other word we use is transformative, mm-hmm. right? And if part of the goal is transformation, why should you assume straight paths are part of the package? Like we should instead be thinking Paul on the Damascus pathway, right? Like that's really more like what we claim is happening is you will be a different person as a result of this, 
with different aspirations and different goals. And I, I think that's sometimes a tension we don't fully resolve um, because we're doing lots of things. We are preparing people for careers and we are helping future spouses meet each other and we are loving learning for the sake of it. But especially here, like we do think there is something spiritual happening. So here's my final set of hairy data. And here's a place where you see significant variation. So overall, only about 43% say it's essential or very important that college helps them integrate spirituality into their lives. Whatever that means, right? Spirituality can take lots of shapes. Less than half say that's a big part of what college is for. But there's huge variation. If you ask that of students at public universities, it's only about 37%, three and eight. But if you ask them, uh, students at, say, historically black colleges and universities, it's 70%. And if you ask them at non-Catholic religious colleges like Bethel, it's over 60%, right? And so maybe that's, since this is College for Christians and you're thinking either yourself or for your child about how to navigate this, understand like to some extent, like places like this in religious institutions, like they will say some of the same things. They're part of the same higher ed industry, facing some of the same pressures, the same objectives. But this is different, right? And not every institution is really set up to deal well with that objective or sees it as a primary goal or has customers seeking after that goal. This is definitely something you should expect out of religious college. Now, one thing to add about that is there are lots of different ways of doing this, of integrating spirituality uh, into your learning. And so next week when we come back, we're going to look broadly at the landscape of American higher ed. And think about the question of why are there so many colleges and universities in the United States, first of all? Why are they so different? And yeah, in other ways, so similar to each other. And that's maybe where we'll start to think about the diversity of religious ways of doing higher education as well. So thanks for listening. Send us your questions, your comments at channel3900 at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to look at the landscape of American higher education. Mm-hmm.